Hi everyone, I'm Trisha Bell. Hi, I'm Georgia. And welcome to CTE Talk, a podcast where we talk all about CTE, concussion culture and sport, and life as a family member. Every Monday, we will be joined by guests to shed light on the neurological disease, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Join us on our mission to raise awareness and educate others. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to CT Talk. Today, we are joined by former athlete Chris Boyce, who's here to tell his experience in sports and his experience with suffering suspected CT symptoms. Welcome, Chris, and would you like to introduce yourself to everyone? Well, first of all, I'd just like to say thank you for you guys for creating this podcast. Um, I know it means a lot to me and, you know, our fellow warriors. And I think it's um, really important that we, you know, get the word out, especially when it's coming to, um, you know, parents um, with with kids that want to play these sports. So they, you know, kind of just paints a you know, a better picture of, you know, the reality of, you know, what might happen to their kid later in life. So, mm-hmm. so again, thank you for that. My name is Chris Boyce, I'm 46 years old, um, grew up in Brewster, New York, um, currently living in Florida with my wife and two daughters, uh, 15 and 12, Nydia and Pailin. Um, this September will be my 16 year anniversary of, uh, my final two hits playing hockey that finished me off. Um, I played a total of 28 years of hockey. Um, most of it as a goalie, but I played a lot of, um, played out and forward in um, like um, adult leagues and, you know, that kind of stuff like that. And did you, have you played in any other sports like growing up or was hockey your main sport? Hockey, hockey my entire life. You know, I woke up, that's all I ever thought about hockey, hockey, yeah. hockey. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's nice to hear a different sport because I think the majority of the sports on this podcast has been obviously NFL. Um, So it'll be interesting to hear your perspective on this. And obviously, like you said, you've been playing hockey for a long time. And we know with CTE or suspected CTE that it's caused by not necessarily the big concussions, but the a lot of subconcussive hits. And I just wondered whether you've had experience then in playing hockey that you've had kind of any big concussions that you remember or was it a case of obviously just the the high contact sport over a period of time you know growing up we really were not I mean I'm 46 now so we really were not taught about concussions all I ever heard heard was you have whiplash or you got your bell rung so you know there there's so many instances when I was younger you know we were taught to play through it and I'd get hit and I'd be laying on the ice, you know, I'd be in pain with my head and I didn't want to get up, but I didn't want to let my team down, you know, down. So Mm -hmm. stupidly not knowing, you know, I continue to play through, you know, all that pain in all those games. Mm -hmm. And it actually wasn't until uh, 2016 when I had my two big hits, Um, I had two hits within a week of each other. Um, I hit one person head on head. I had um, instant pain in the back of my head, instant pain in my spine, saw stars, and like an idiot, what do I do? I continue playing the game, um, just like I did my entire life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that week I started knowing, noticing, you know, some dizziness and nausea. Then we had another game, and what do I do? I play the game. Um, that time I, I hit a player shoulder on shoulder, and same pain in the head, same pain in the spine, 
stars but this time i felt like um you know something was different something just wasn't quite right so i i did get over to the hospital and um they did say i had a concussion and um the following morning i basically woke up a different person you know i i haven't felt the same since you know first thing i woke up i noticed i had ringing in the ears which i still do to this day it's just a screaming sound and i just didn't feel like i was me anymore Mm -hmm. that must have been really hard and to happen or to experience those changes so like almost overnight like you said that must be really difficult to deal with and it's it's so frustrating isn't it that obviously now you have the knowledge and expertise to know what those hits were doing to you back then and it's so annoying that this information wasn't available when you were in the midst of your sporting career and playing sport so I guess now it's obviously education and and like you said at the start helping parents or even young kids know what the risks are um other than obviously what you've said about the ringing in your ear is there any other symptoms um that um, i got a list through? here because i know i'm probably going to draw a blank on you but um that's okay sen- go for it yeah sen- uh, sensory overload um do where i can't i can't go into a store i can't go into grocery stores um any kind of busy places, it's just, um, it's too much information to me. I, I get, you know, really overwhelmed. Um, light sensitivity, I constantly have my sunglasses on. Again, if I go into those stores, those lights um, affect me so bad. I've spent, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars of, you know, special sunglasses and it, it just hasn't helped me at all. Um, sound sensitivity rage um the rage is really scary for me um i honestly do not like going out in public much for that reason because i'm you know so concerned you know somebody gonna say something stupid to me or somebody gonna push me you know how am i gonna react it's not like i'm you know going out there looking for trouble Mm-hmm. But it's that that anger, it it's uh it's instant. There's no let me count to ten, it's just you know, mm-hmm. blow up. It's right so away. impulsive, isn't it? It's like a poor, poor impulsive control, isn't it? It's it's instant. I mean, it's it's kind of embarrassing how instant it is. And it's just mm-hmm. I don't realize what's happening until afterwards. So, you know, I I try to be very cautious yeah. where where I go out in public. Mm-hmm. You know, I enjoy going to the beach. Um so when I go, I have to go you know, usually a half hour before the sun comes up when it's still dark. So I'm, you know, I'm walking that beach all by myself where there's nobody around. And the second people start coming, it becomes an issue for me. And that's another symptom we're going to get into now is paranoia. Um, I think people are watching me. I think people are following me. If I'm driving my car, the car behind me is following me. You know, they pull in front of me, the next car behind me, I think they're following me. Um, I walk out my front door. I think my neighbors are watching me. You know, I walk my dogs. I'm constantly turning my head, thinking I'm being followed. Um, out of body feelings. I constantly feel like I'm kind of like in a, a drunk um, trance state, almost like I'm floating outside my body. Um, depression, the suicidal thoughts. Um, they come and go, but they're definitely more related to anger. Anger will really you know set them off for me um hallucinations hallucinations for me are either going to come on with uh, the sensory overload or at nighttime i get sundowning syndrome so nighttime's really hell for me 
and I'll start having um, bad hallucinations. Um, what else we got here? Bad judgment, uh, trouble concentrating, um, the short-term memory issues, um, lack of empathy, apathy. You know, those are those are probably the majority of them right there. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, there's definitely a plethora of symptoms, but especially with the angle on you, you clearly have such a great self-awareness to to notice what that can be like what that feels like for you and obviously to avoid certain situations which is obviously frustrating for you having to do so but um it sounds like you're able to keep yourself in a good place um obviously you said you had the ringing in your ear so after that how quickly did these other symptoms prevail um you know my, my daughter was going to be born two weeks after my injury and um that put a lot of stress on me to continue working um so in the beginning, it was more the anxiety, um, the dizziness, the nausea. Those were kind of, you know, the first symptoms. And mm -hmm. as the years has progressed, um, it's just been, you know, kind of going downhill from there. Mm -hmm. I'd say probably, let's see, 20, in 2015, I started really, you know, deciding, do I need to quit my job? You know, because mm -hmm. of all these symptoms started getting worse in 2016, I finally made that decision to quit mm -hmm. and probably the last three years my symptoms have gotten uh, really bad mm -hmm. and may I ask what you did for work um I worked for a cable company for 15 years mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. prior to that I built houses so I was um, doing um, business installation so you know in all the busy places that now bother me. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And have you had to transition to in, into another job that's more suitable for your needs or symptoms? Or I'm a stay-at-home dad now. Um, yeah. it's, it's killing me not to work, but with my symptoms right now, it's just not feasible. There's, there's no way on earth I can work mm. right now. I think about mm. it every day. I'm like, what can I do? You know? Yeah. I feel like that must be hard as well because you're dealing with these symptoms and obviously a change in your your personal life as well. I feel like that doesn't really get spoken about. Um, and I can imagine that's really tough for you as well. Yeah, it's a it's a big change going from, you know, wanting to go out in busy places, doing things. Mm -hmm. And now I spend a lot of the time at home, you know, where I yeah. have to be very cautious when I go out in public, where I'm going, you know. Mm -hmm. This interesting question, but... Obviously, you said that you struggle with overloading your sensory system. Obviously, being a dad and, and bringing your kids up, we know that when children are young, obviously, they have loads of toys um, that are very kind of sensory based. And I just wondered whether how the chaos of being a, a young dad impacted that aspect of or those symptoms that you you're, you're saying um, you had. When they were, yeah, when they were babies, it was really difficult with with all the crying and, you know, that's mm. just made me really, you know, agitated. And now as they're teenagers, it's, it's more if they're fighting with each other, you know, that kind of you know, sets me off. I just can't, I mean, it's hard for me to either even follow one conversation, but the second I have two people talking again, you know, that's that mm. sensory overload stuff. My brain just can't, you know, filter it all out. Yeah. I can imagine. And obviously we know that CTE or if anyone listening has, hasn't or doesn't know what CTE is and things or hasn't listened to the other podcasts, we know that CTE currently can only be diagnosed post-mortemly. I know 
doctors, neurologists are working hard to find a diagnosis in, in the living. But at the moment, obviously, we would refer to this as suspected CTE. Yeah. I just wondered what your process has been, if you have had one, speaking to neurologists, getting scans, things like that. Um, that's been a nightmare. And you're probably going to hear that quite often talking to people. Um, again, 2016, I got hurt. I went to one of the top specialists in the country in Buffalo, New York. Um, that was the first doctor I went to, actually probably the second doctor, and they did an MRI. They told me based on the MRI, they didn't see anything, but they suspect I had brain injury. So, you know, I kind of left that doctor's appointment um, heartbroken. You know, I, I knew something mm -hmm. wasn't right, and all I got was, you probably have a brain injury. So... You know, from that appointment there, I kept going to different neurologists, and it wasn't until two years later, um, a neurologist here in Florida, Dr. Seldrin, um, rec recommended I get a um, DTI MRI, and that one showed I have a uh, axonal shear injury in the superior frontal lobe, um, two microhemorrhages, and um, what else we got here? Some white matter loss. I've had, you know, PET scans, um, neuroquant MRIs, DAT scans, uh, what else? I say spec, spec scan. Um, I actually just took part in a, a couple months ago, I finished up um, doing hyperbarics in uh, the Aviv Clinic in Florida. I was given the opportunity to take part in that program, um, mm -hmm. and it was absolutely amazing. I got to do that that on uh, the spec scan, so they got to show me a lot of stuff that I have less activity in the back of my head. Um, I saw a lot of people improving there, which was awesome to see. Mm. But unfortunately for me, I haven't seen any improvements, and that was mm -hmm. kind of you know a real um, downer for me to walk out of there and not feel any changes. I bet. And at, from your experience of that, do you think that it's very improvement is very dependent on this, the kind of state of someone's brain? Or do you think if you were or had the opportunity to continue that long term, that you think you would notice a change? Uh, you know, speak, I was speaking to because we we're in a, a multi chamber. So we were in with, I don't know, maybe it was like 20 people in the chamber. So I was constantly talking to them and seeing how they're doing. Mm. And a lot of them were noticing stuff, you know, a couple of weeks after. And me, you know, now I think when did I stop? I stopped in, I think last December. Yeah, that was the last one. And I just, I haven't seen any improvements. So I don't know what it is about my brain. Um, I've done photobiomodulation. And mm. again, I hear so many people, hey, it's helping me. And my brain just doesn't respond. I've done, um, photobiomodulation using a gamma device i've used a alpha device and my brain just doesn't respond so i don't know what the deal is <laughs> mm. yeah it's really it's really difficult did you um out of interest are you on any other treatment now have you been given any i know some doctors prescribe things as little as supplements you know like vitamin and uh, mineral supplements or you can be, have antidepressants. Obviously, it's really hard because there's such a plethora of symptoms, isn't there? But I just wondered whether you have been put on any other treatment. Well, um, let me see. I've done TMS therapy. That was another failure. Um, I did ketamine, spray ketamine. Um, I only did two sessions of that. 
I didn't notice anything on the two sessions, but I couldn't continue that because I couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. um, I've been on 76 different medications to wow. date right now. Mm -hmm. have not noticed anything. So I'm not currently on anything. Um, mm -hmm. My neurologist just diagnosed me with, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank here, atomic dysfunction. So they did put me on some kind of acid. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. So that's, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to start um, a lithium supplement. So I'm going to be starting that one tomorrow. But other than that, you know, doing a lot of float therapy we just had a pool built in my house and that is uh huge for me there's something about floating in the water which wipes out the sensory overload wipes out a lot of my symptoms yeah, the issue is therapeutic. once i yep the issue is once i get out of the water it all comes back so it's, it's you know very temporary <laughs> of course well at least you're able to have something to almost escape to um yeah. would you say i know you mentioned about Kind of not being able to afford certain treatments is that i know that's obviously very culturally specific because there's no free healthcare really in america is there you have to have a lot of, in, lot of yeah. user insurance i just wondered whether do you find that is kind of one of the biggest barriers to getting help if you're suffering with these symptoms or suspected cte um for me yeah and i mean as you know i run um the facebook group cte brain injury um, United and I hear that all the time that they want to do these treatments but they can't afford it mm -hmm. you know a lot of us are either not working or we're on disability so it makes it makes it uh really difficult wow. it's not that we don't want to try these things yeah. it's just we can't we can't afford it you know and out of interest if you're able to say um I think it'd be quite interesting from for the UK listeners how much would something like that cost which what was your latest treatment that you had and how much the, did that cost okay so the uh aviv clinic that program is fifty thousand dollars and how 12, long is that for it's a 12 week program um five days a week wow so that's just an example right there of that particular place um you look at tms therapy that was covered under insurance um i just had to pay i think it was like maybe 1200 bucks for my co-pays, but for some mm -hmm. people that's not going to be affordable. Um, photobiomodulation. I paid that out of my pocket. That was an $1,800 device. So there's, oh, you know, there's wow. a lot of things. And then you go into the yeah. ketamine, infu ketamine infusions. I think those are um, maybe I think $800 per session. Or if you do the mm -hmm. spray ketamine, it's partially covered under insurance. I know I'm on Medicare right now. And they're going to charge me 200 bucks per time I go there. And that's, you know, when you have a family and you're basically on one income, it's, you just can't afford it, you know? Yeah. That's, it's just so much money. And you guys go through enough, let alone having all these other barriers. It's just so frustrating. And I can understand that's why the research and, and building a community with the fellow people going through a similar thing is so important. I'm actually currently undertaking a study at the moment. I'm just finishing off about young CTE patients and caregivers, because as we know, CTE can affect younger populations. I think the youngest person diagnosed post-mortemly was 17 years old. Um, yep. But I just wondered whether you, because you're young in terms of 
most neurological diseases hit individuals 65 plus. I just wondered how, if it did, affected you trying to get buy-in or doctors and neurologists to listen to you because you look healthy from the outside. Um, so it must be a yep. kind of a double-edged sword. I just wonder what your experience was with that. Well, like I said, I've been on 76 medications, so that, you know, that really says it right there. Um, I don't think it was probably until this year until, you know, my therapist and psychiatrist kind of got on the same page when I walk in there and I'm like, okay, what can I try next? Mm. And they go through my record, then they break out their little medical book and they look at me like, we don't have anything else to offer you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not until, you know, you go through that list of medications and you've gone through all these different types of treatments, your imaging's getting worse, your memory testing's getting worse. Then these people are like, oh, wait a minute, maybe there is something more. It's not a mental health issue. You know, maybe mm -hmm. he does have CTE. And that's something I hear so often in the group that I run. You know, the doctors just, they just want to brush us off, you know, having a mental health issue. Yeah. I was going to say that I think because there's such a stigma around age and developing symptoms that might be corresponding to diseases such as dementia, frontal temporal dementia, ALS, that I think doctors automatically allude or put the symptoms that you're experiencing, like you said, to a mental health issue, especially if you're experiencing things like apathy and, and low mood and anxiety and fe feeling low and all of those, they, there's such a blurred line between mental health illnesses that they immediately put it towards that which I can imagine is really frustrating and that's something that we need to change and I think that will do with education and research um did you do anything to get around that or was it just a case of keep persevering until you feel like someone's listening to you you know it's just persevering and showing showing my doctors I'm trying you know and once they see that you've done it all they start mm -hmm. believing you it's it's sad it gets to that point but no, that's that's what I've noticed. I've just had to literally just keep asking, what medication can I try? What treatment can I try? You know, then they just start opening their eyes and start believing you at that point. So mm. Yeah, oh, it's so it's so, so difficult. And thank you for sharing kind of your symptoms that you're dealing with at the moment. What else can you do, do you think, day to day to help minimize your symptoms? As we know, CT, I know it's a progressive disease, but there's so much research out there that you can obviously have a good quality of life through different mechanisms, whether that's like the supplements or the treatment or whatever it may be. I just wondered, what do you do day to day to either take your mind off everything or to support your your physical, mental well-being? I mean, like I said, beach beach walks is huge. Um, beach is 20 minutes away from me, so it's not always possible for me to get there with my symptoms. Sometimes it's just um, too much for me. Now I have that pool. Um, the pool has been built for, I think, the last couple of weeks now. So I've been able to get in there once or twice a day, and that's been, you know, huge for me um mm -hmm. the biggest thing for me is just avoiding avoiding any type of minor stress you know mm -hmm. which is really hard to do in this time of age especially when you have two kids but i have to be very cautious of you know what i'm gonna do to you know try to avoid avoid those symptoms and you know at nighttime um, when my sundowning gets worse you know I know it's coming, you know, I, I know what time it's going to come. I have a rough idea of what symptoms I'm going to deal with. So for me, 
you know, that makes it easier knowing what to expect every night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think it's going to help a lot of people listening about what symptoms can be associated with CTE and yeah, the different, I think it's just, it's, it's so crazy to hear most of the conversations I've had with individuals probably around your age is that when you guys were in the midst of playing sport, it's a similar answer in terms of the culture just expects you to get up and get on with it. Whereas I know that's changed a lot now. Out of interest, do either of your kids play any contact sports? Or whether you put them uh, off no, them now? I, ha- I have both of them. I have both of them on the swim team and I'm, I'm very happy okay. about that. Okay, yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. I, we did have them figure skating for a while. And once they started getting into doing some spinning and that, it really freaked me out. And um, mm. I'm really happy they got on the swim team. If they wanted to play a contact sport, I I would not allow it. You know, if they wanted to play hockey... I'd allow it until we get to the point where there's contact. And then, you know, I'm going to say there's no way it's yeah. just not worth it. Yeah. And I ask most people this question, because I always find the response interesting. Do you think if you could go back and, and never play hockey again, or play to a point, like you said, before contact, do you think you would like not do it? I love hockey to death. Um, I would not play, um, you know, Here's the thing. I played goalie, so mm-hmm. how come I'm like this? <laughs> you know, yeah, I was a yeah. pretty pretty aggressive goalie, so I don't know how much was it me playing goalie or how much was mm-hmm. it the times that I was playing forward. You know, I, I just don't yeah. know. You know, even I can't even go play an adult league right now, which is non-checking because there's still a risk. I mean, just hitting those boards so fast, it's like you're when you hit them, it's like you're in a car accident. So yeah, I'd yeah. like I would hope. You know, if my parents had the knowledge, you know, that's out right now, they would say, Chris, you can't play. Mm-hmm. You know, I know as me as a kid, I would have that, you know, he-man mentality. I still want to play. So mm-hmm. I would really hope my parents would step up and just not allow me to play, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's hard. Out of interest, do you, do you still speak to any of your former teammates? And I wondered if they were, any of those are having issues two of them um and they really don't say too much you know and i know one of them was constantly hitting people so i'm i'm shocked that you know maybe it's just a you know a matter of time and you know maybe later on something's gonna happen yeah well there's so many different aspects that contribute it alongside obviously the multitude of subconcussive hits it can be partly genetic as well um, so it's really hard to figure out who is susceptible and who isn't. Um, so I know you mentioned that you obviously started your page. Could you just talk us through a bit about that and what that involves? Yeah. Um, when I started noticing I was having the symptoms of CTE, I was spending a lot of time on Facebook and, and a lot of brain injury groups. And I think at the time there was only one CTE group. So I had the crazy idea to, uh, Hey, let's start a CTE group and try to spread awareness. So I just wanted to do it to, you know, let everybody know they're not, not alone. Um, so we can go in there and share, you know, what's going on. Cause off too often you can't talk about that with your friends or family, you know, yeah, you need those fellow warriors to talk about that stuff. And there's a lot of, you know, dark stuff, um, that you know it's important that we share um we got to be careful how much we share with that but yeah so that's mainly why yeah why i wanted to you know start that group 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's lovely to speak to people that are going through a similar thing or have gone through a similar thing. I think it's one of those things that it's such a unique experience that only individuals who've been in it truly understand it. So I can imagine it's quite therapeutic as well to speak to peers in a like-minded or similar situation. And I think it's really hard because I always like to preface on the podcast that these aren't meant to scare anyone or anyone who's in a playing sport or a high contact sport. Now, this isn't your sign to to stop. It's just about seeing what yeah. the risk factors are and, and what can happen. And if you've played a history of sport, it doesn't mean you're going to have CT, you know, like it's very, like we said, dependent on a, on a range of factors. But I think at this point we've proven how important education, listening to people's stories, raising awareness is to help, like we said, spread the word about CT and its effects and what it can do. What do you think needs to change then in, yeah, kind of final thoughts? Is there anything? Uh, My my answer isn't very popular with a lot of people. Um, I think the government needs to get involved and um, change the age to 18. Um, At 18, you are an, an adult you know, where you can make adult decisions. Um, We don't allow our kids to smoke cigarettes until age 21. Mm -hmm. We don't allow our kids to drink alcohol until age 21. But we're going to allow that same kid to go to practice and get hit over and over for an hour or two. We're going to allow that same kid to go in a game and get hit over and over and over. So I think, you know, um, you know, football, hockey, whatever it is, you can teach that kid all the fundamentals, you know, for hockey, how long is it going to really take you to teach that kid how to check at 18? No, it's not going to take that long. Mm -hmm. So I think putting an age um, would be, you know, really the the right thing to do at 18. I know right now it's either 12 or 14 and that kid's still going to get hit hundreds and thousands of times. And like you said, it's not guaranteed that they're going to get CTE, but you better believe they're getting head trauma. And yeah. that's, that's what we need to talk about more than just the CTE, that every time you're getting hit, you're causing some kind of microscopic damage to your brain. Mm-hmm. And it's all about, even if we just up the age where people can start contact sports, it yeah. just shortens that trajectory of playing high contact sports by so much. And that can play yeah. such a big role as well, can't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, we're not trying to take away contact sports because it's it's big money, it's here forever, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. You know? yeah, but exactly. it's just trying to you know push that off as long as you can because at a younger age you ask any 12 or 14 year old right now you show them all the cte data i guarantee 99.9 percent of them are going to say i want to play because they don't think they're going to get hurt Mm -hmm. and then you have parents who played aren't having any symptoms right now and they're like oh my little johnny little susie's not going to have any problems so i i just feel the government has to get involved. I, I don't think it's going to happen because sports is just so, you know, it's big money. But mm. I mean, that would be ideal. Yeah. And so you would say 18 for any high contact sports, really? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, they could still play that sport, you know, learn, you know, learn all your skills that you need. But getting into that contact, it's just you need to put it off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so difficult, isn't it? And like I like you said, there's just sport is such a big part of our lives and it yeah. teaches us so much before we know about things like CTE. It just teaches us so many skills that we can 
put into every aspect of our life, whether it's teamwork and exactly. how to stay determined and resilience and all of those. And I think people need to remember you can seek those skills and characteristics in other domains of life. In and yeah, in other sports, you know, such as exactly. my kids swimming. And in the exactly. Bed, yeah. And the biggest thing that drives me nuts, I hear it so often when I'm talking to parents about CTE and they say, I can't put my kid in a bubble. You know, I can't protect them. I, I just can't leave them in a bubble. And I kind of laugh at it. I say, well, look at me right now. I, I can't go anywhere. I'm stuck at home mm -hmm. because of my symptoms. So later in life, you're going to put that same kid who's an adult in a bubble, you know? Mm -hmm. So do you want to, you know, protect that kid earlier on or, you know, later on? It's just, I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. The hard no. decision to make. It's really hard. And I think trying to, especially if sport is such a big thing in someone's family and if they, your, their parents have played, their grandparents have played, particularly at a really high level, I think naturally you're born with sport and athleticism in your blood almost. So it's really hard yeah. to then target those individuals and try and get them to listen. But I think you're doing such an amazing part in sharing what you're going through at the moment and and helping other people understand the risks of playing playing high contact sports for a long period of time. So I think it's all about if people just listen to the stories and even if they take one thing, hopefully they'll pass it on to the next person and we just need to keep going and sharing what our truth yeah. is and hope yeah. that one day these changes will happen. I mean, if we save one person, you know, we did something right. That's how I look at it. So it's... Exactly, exactly. Well, you've been so amazing to speak to. Have you got any kind of final thoughts or any advice you'd like to give anyone just to finish off today? Um, you know, the biggest thing is just be your own advocate. You know, if you're having your doctors tell you there's nothing wrong, just continue searching for those answers. Um, and, you know, just... Don't stop trying different treatments. You know, if if it's financially, you know, if you're able to do it financially, just do it. Even though you hear one of your fellow survivors, it didn't work for them. Just go through and try as many things as you possibly can, because you just don't know, you know, that next thing might help you. So that's mm -hmm. that's the most important thing I could tell you. Just keep keep searching. Mm -hmm. Amazing, and you know your body best. I think. If you've yep. even if you have constant people, it could be anything wrong with you. Um, if you have you have constant doctors saying no, it's this, it's this, it's this, and you know deep down, like you said, keep persevering, and yep. hopefully you'll get the support you deserve and need one day. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Chris. It was amazing to speak to you. I know everyone's going to find this episode really important, and I'm sure they're going to learn a lot. So thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. If anybody wants to reach out to me on Facebook through Messenger or, again, my page, CTE and Brain Injury United, you know, feel free to. I'm an open book, as you can see, so definitely reach out. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'll leave a link to the page in the description so people can check it out and reach out to you if they want to have a chat or want to um, get some support. So thank you so much, Chris, again, and we'll speak soon. All right, have a good day. You too, bye. That is the end of CT Talk, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We will see you next week for the next episode of CT Talk. Bye.